I'm John. I'm Rob. And this is the Mint One Podcast. Where we talk all things NFTs and the rise of blockchain gaming. So Rob, we have a very special guest on episode 34. We do. Brian Tronzo, the Metaverse lead at Polygon Studios. Let's get into it. Brian, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to join us on uh, episode 34 of the Mint One podcast. How's it going for you today? Not bad and uh, pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. No, it's, uh, we're much obliged. Um, I think the first question I was, would ask you, um, also your official role is Metaverse lead. It's not something you see every day. So could you kind of divulge a bit um, kind of what, what it is that your role entails exactly? There we go. Just jumping in with the tough questions, right? That, nebul- <laughs> that, that nebulous term, Metaverse. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, no, but Metaverse Lead is the title. I sit on the Polygon Studios team. The Polygon Studios team being the advisory arm of Polygon vis-a-vis blockchain-based games, open decentralized Metaverse, NFTs more generally. We're broken down into two rough division- divisions. Uh, that's gaming and entertainment. Both of those divisions being quite elastic, right? The term gaming and the term entertainment becoming blurry as things become more immersive over time. Um, but my job, specifically Metaverse Lead, I sit on the entertainment side of things. Um, and I work with large IP holders who are looking to navigate uh, developing Web3 programs, working with those developers who are building on uh, the Polygon blockchain, of course, and also working with those native developers, those who are developing Web3 dApps uh, virtual worlds or anything that converges the physical with the digital, right? That understanding mm-hmm. that the metaverse is, is this endless convergence of our digital and physical selves, um, working with them uh, to help onboard into the technology and then moving them over to the customer support function uh, of Polygon Studios. So uh, that's a little bit about my, my role uh, and how it sits uh, under the Polygon Studios uh, banner. Interesting. That's, uh, I mean, I know from the, I saw this, I think yesterday, the, the rise in dApps on the Polygon network has been, I mean, incredible. I think I had it written down that you're up 400% this year and in November you had around 500 dApps and in now you have around 37,000. Is that right? Well, the 37,000 is right. Uh, as far as we can tell, it may be actually more than that. We're, we're not 100% sure of that. We're 100% sure that that's the floor. Uh, that's the lowest that it possibly could be. Yeah. So it could be more. Um, and also at the time of airing, it may be over 40,000 at that time. Wow. The November number, that, that I'm not sure on. Um, I think we had more than 500 deployed in November. I joined in December. Uh, and we d- we definitely had thousands in December already. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the, the BD team yeah. has been hard at work. Yes, a lot of growth in the last eight or nine months. Yes. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So, so I I want to come in with a, a a hard question straight away. So I'm sure you get this all the time because you have the word metaverse in your job title, which is a word everyone's kind of scrabbling to define. You sort of defined it in your introduction, but you know, if you were to give an elevator pitch on what the metaverse is, was is it that sort of physical and digital convergence, or w- what are you thinking on that front? That's sort of the way that I describe it as a headline, as as a soundbite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the so so I guess that would be the elevator pitch. But to to go a step further, let's imagine we're on an elevator that's going twenty, thirty stories, not just two or three <laughs> sure. stories, right? Yeah, you, you have more than five seconds. Maybe you have thirty seconds. Uh, I myself am a Matthew Ball disciple. Uh, I make no bones about that. Uh, he won me over hook, line, and sinker with all of his writings uh, most recently uh, in his book that he just published last month, uh, The Metaverse. And I, I think there's like a colon there, who will make it, who will define it, like something mm. like that. Uh, fantastic book. If you haven't read Matthew Ball's writings, uh, you should read them, not just the hosts here, Robert and John, but <laughs> everyone who's listening. Um, but the way that he goes on to define the metaverse is something along the lines of a patchwork of uh, infinitely scalable virtual worlds, um, that are persistent and synchronous, uh, whereby one can go to engage in recreation, uh, professional activities, uh, and the like. So uh, he lays out a framework of uh, eight points that make up uh, the open decentralized metaverse in his mind, uh, ranging from hardware straight through to user behavior, and underneath there is networking, uh, compute, uh, interchange, interoperability, all these key ideas of what makes up a open decentralized metaverse. And, and that is the ideology to which I subscribe. Hmm. Okay, cool. Okay. 
I think in, in our just on that note, in our recent, um, you recently did a, a short interview for, for NFT Insider, and um, I noticed that the way I was phrasing my questions was talking about metaverses, and your response was using the singular, the metaverse. So I was wondering, um, obviously, underneath the Polygon umbrella, you've got you know numerous of the of the biggest metaverses in today's in today's well, you know, you've got Decentraland, you've got the Sandbox, and plenty of others. Um, so. Going back to how you answered the questions where you were, you kind of talked about a singular metaverse, um, do you envisage deeper interconnectivity between the various metaverse projects built on Polygon? And if so, um, how do you think um, in your role you might help to facilitate that? Uh, in a word, yes, uh, I do envision that personally. Uh, I'm a macro level technologist at heart. I am not uh, a technical builder, so I will not sure. be the one who is leading the charge in terms of developing interoperable decentralized applications to create those bridges of interoperability. Uh, you know, we act as sort of the plumbing and the framework uh, and those dApps who are developing on chain with the technical expertise, they're the ones who will be building. Um, but yes, I do believe that we will have a future whereby uh, bridges will be made that uh, interconnect decentralized applications, virtual worlds built on Polygon, but also outside of Polygon. Um, you know, I, I personally subscribe to the ideology that even these closed uh, beta verses, that's a, that's a term I've been trying to meme into existence to describe uh, these walled gardens, uh, mostly video games, of course, the Robloxes, Fortnites, Minecrafts of the world. Uh, I, I do think that there will be bridges between those worlds as well. Now, how, how stringent will the control over those bridges be? Uh, Will it be one-way traffic, meaning you can export out of the game, but you cannot import into the game, things like that? That I do not know. Uh, that will sort of shake out over time. And, and I, you know, I'm of the belief that it comes down to user behavior. Uh, if the users want it, uh, I believe the developers will grant it uh, to some extent. You know, that might take years and decades even. Uh, but yes, I do believe in a fully interoperable metaverse, uh, and I do think it will take a very long time to get there. Uh, but that we're off to a very good start. No, I agree. Hmm. That's, it's interesting. So uh, I want to sort of spin that on its head a little bit. What, what do you think at the moment is the biggest threat to Web3 and the metaverse taking shape in a way that we would hope it would you know, take shape? As people that work in Web3, we obviously have a sort of vision for it. What, what do you think is a threat to that right now? I think a threat to it is a completely closed singular metaverse where there is one actor who is in control. You know, if, if you are uh, a fan uh, of Ready Player One, the Oasis, it's as if, you know, IOI owns the metaverse, right? And, mm. and that, for public policy reasons, I think would be an awful idea. Um, you know, if, uh, if the users do not actually own their assets, they're, you know, licensed uh, and, and left in a centralized ledger. Uh, they have access to those items within a closed world. Uh, and that closed world is pumping to them an algorithm of information to influence uh, their opinions and ideologies. You know, this idea that uh, an extension of Web2 into uh, what would be some sort of, you know, excuse my French, bastardized version of Web3 if it's centralized and controlled, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That that is for policy reasons, something that I personally would not like uh, to see. Um, so, so I think that that would be the one thing, um, that I would advise against is, is anyone pacing towards this singular centralized version of a metaverse. Now, that being said, uh, I do think that there will be walled gardens worth living in and worth, uh, recreating within. Uh, I think that, um, it comes down to the user, uh, behavior and it comes down to what they want out of these virtual worlds. And, and I think things that mirror uh, video games as we understand them today that are closed and, and things that mirror uh, betaverses or proto-metaverses as we understand them today that are closed, uh, whether it's a VR chat or Horizons, if they never actually integrate with Web3, I think those will offer uh, a value to a specific kind of consumer who will want that service. Uh, and I think it just comes out to the user of where they want to spend time. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think um, on that point, um Obviously, Facebook was kind of the big monolith of Web2. And they have entered um, the VR space with, you know, of course, they purchased uh, purchased Oculus. And now they have the MetaQuest 2. They have Horizon Worlds. They're increasing their NFT support on, uh, on both Facebook and Instagram. How do or what are your thoughts towards their increasing presence in the Web3 space? And do you think they'll be able to reach the heights that they did in Web2? 
Yeah, I think one only needs to look at a Google Analytics trend chart of the word metaverse and understand just how much Facebook and Meta has done for the vertical writ large, right? I think it was October uh, that Mark Zuckerberg went to press stating that Facebook would be rebranding and that it would be a metaverse company. And uh, that chart, you can't even call that chart a hockey stick. That's just like a stairway to heaven, really, that just kept going straight up in terms of how popular that term became. So if from a very rudimentary, reductive uh, metric, we just measure, um, you know, the influence of Facebook and Meta uh, on the metaverse based off of bringing attention to it, positive or negative or neutral. Uh, I, I, you know, I think they've already done their job. Right? They, they've brought great attention to this emerging vertical. Now, whether they will be one of the great winners of Web3 or not, you know, I think it's too early to say. I think their intentions so far have looked fairly pure in terms of research and understanding from the Novi project straight through uh, to their integration with Polygon, which has been a fantastic boon to our business, of course. Uh, it, it has seemed very pure uh, and that their incentives are in the right place. And, and I think the reason why, if I'm to hypothesize for a second, is that, you know, they're students of history, right? They're, they're a founder-led org. Uh, whether you like the founder or not, that's a personal opinion, but it's a founder-led org who is, the founder is extremely passionate, extremely intelligent, uh, and has been uh, a student of history. You know, he, he saw that the winners of Web 2 weren't necessarily the winners of Web 1. And I, I think if you were to talk to him, I've never talked to him, so I have no idea. But I would imagine if you talk to him, he, he would probably say the, the winners of Web 3 may or may not be the winners of Web 2. And it's up to us to continue to excel, uh, because if there's one thing that's certain, it's that technology is unstoppable. So, um, you know, hats off to them and, and I applaud them, uh, give them nothing but the biggest praise and kudos for navigating this very scary terrain, right? Web3 promises to disintermediate and disrupt everything, right? Um, so incumbents beware, Web3 is coming for you, right? Like this, that, it's, uh, there's this crypto anarchic way of phrasing that, right? But but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And I think that um, some of the winners from Web2, particularly those that are founder led, um, you know, they're, they're learning from the lessons of history and looking to integrate with Web3. We've definitely seen um, an, a real influx, particularly in the last 18 months of Web2 talent, the, the builders of Web2 really moving over, you know, you're Justin can, we've seen um, Jack Dorsey is working in it. There's been so many that have moved over and then uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I, so I write, I end up writing about Mark Zuckerberg all the time, it, even though I, I try not to just because he's so prevalent in anything happening online. And I feel as if he's at the moment in the media, he's always been a bit of a, well, not always, but in the last couple of years, he's been a cartoon villain. People just love to pin things to him. However, there is one concern I have about um, him going into Web3, and that is kind of what you discussed as one of the biggest threats, and that is he seems to be inclined to build walled gardens. And that would be a concern of mine if he were to play a significant role in um, Web3. Do you think that perhaps he's learned from what he's done in web two, although he's had such success, it'd be difficult to, to learn from any mistakes, I think, but that would be a concern of mine is that he would try and make it a walled garden. Yeah. I I think at the end of the day, there are two very large macro level forces at play that will influence, uh, the decision of, uh, Meta's fearless leader, uh, to go in one direction or another. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, shareholders and, uh, what I mentioned earlier, human behavior, right? If, uh, if the shareholders are not pleased with a certain direction that's being taken, they will make that be known in the free market, right? And one would have to adjust to address that. Mm-hmm. And another factor acting alongside that, the human behavior part, if there truly is this genie out the bottle moment, which I subscribe to, I believe in that, right? I do believe that our children and our children's children will look back at us and say, wait a second, you spent 10,000 hours playing the Final Fantasy series from Square Enix and you owned zero things within mm-hmm. that series. You yeah. have nothing... Yeah to show for that. I think that will be a mind breaking thing for future generations. 100%. And if I'm correct in saying that, or even close to correct, if there's any truth in that whatsoever, I think, you know, user behavior will tip the hand of the incumbents for them to be even more uh, exploratory uh, with Web3 technologies. So, you know, wh- while uh, a, a single person with as much wealth and control as a Mark Zuckerberg may have the ability to sway markets and influence opinion, uh, I do think at the end of the day, there is a check and balance, and that's the users, um, that mm. they will actually be the ones in the driver's seat. Now, that might be a romantic thing. That might not uh, actually be true. I may be dead wrong on all of that, but that is what I believe. Mm. 
Yeah, speaking of um, kind of user user power uh, in the Web three space, um, the reception towards NFTs and Web three by the majority of the traditional gaming audience up to this point has been mostly negative. Let's be honest, um, and the gaming community at large uh, continues to harbor quite strong feelings towards the Web three space. Um, so, how do you think we, as a as an industry, should tackle the topic of um, kind of bringing people around to the idea of Web three and onboarding them into the space? Do you think it's an inevitability, or do you think we need to be taking um, particular actions to move it along? I think a lot of it has to do with education. Um, I think there's a steep learning curve to what Web three is. People forget why we're doing this, like what decentralization is all about. And a lot of the cringe and toxic uh, aspects of Web three, and you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not here to be ignorant and, and to have a blind spot, right? Like there are some very toxic uh, aspects to Web three in terms of the way that people promote scams and look to yep. engage in pump and dump behavior. There's lots of opportunists out there, and um, you know, it it, uh, it paints an ugly picture, and it's easy for the media to report on it, and it's easy to turn off. Uh, popular sentiment, right? People can rally against it and people have to some extent. I, I think what's important here and the CEO of Polygon Studios, Ryan Watt, uh, he's gone on record saying this quite a bit and I couldn't agree with him anymore. You know, it's it's not mutually exclusive. It's not Web3 versus Web2 or NFT-based yeah. games versus video games, right? Um, Web3-based games, blockchain-based games is a subsection of and will continue to be a subsection of the wider gamut of games, right? It, it's it, We're not trying to cram it down anyone's throats, right? Like you have to engage uh, in purchasing NFTs within games. That's, that's not what we're here to do, uh, not as uh, a studio associated with a blockchain uh, or anyone who's building within Web3 writ large. So um, I do think it's, it's a matter of education. I think it's a matter of, um, you know, crossing the chasm and developing really beautifully designed, thoughtfully considered, uh, easy to use, slick UX, UI, um, decentralized applications and games that are so good, it makes a gamer want to play it, right? The game needs to be fun first. It needs to be easy to use second. Uh, and then third will come any sort of killer application of NFTs therein, I think. So, um, that, that was a, a very long winded way of answering your question. I hope, I hope I got, I hope I got to the actual question there. No, you did. You did. So, I mean, gaming is obviously um, at the heart of what I do. And and I do think one thing that really resonated is, is earlier when you, you were saying that you think the next generation is going to just be shocked that we dumped so much time into something without, you know, anything to show for it. And I, I think that's true. I also think, you know, with gaming onboarding is, particularly blockchain gaming, onboarding is is the the real um, barrier that we need, we need to get through. But I, I think... One of the questions I'd, I'd like to ask you is what you see as a misconception from the, again, I, I don't want to make this tribal. I don't want to put it web two versus web three, but there obviously is a bit of tribal warfare when it comes to gaming at the moment on whether there should be NFTs integrated or not. And I wonder, have you noticed any sort of common misconceptions about what the metaverse is, what web three is, and perhaps you could correct them if they were to ever click this video, which they won't. <laughs> I think a part of it, I think it really goes back to that education part, right? Um, mm. You know, over the course of the last 20 or 30 years, as the video game industry hockey sticked into, um, you know, the echelon that it's in today in terms of the amount of revenue that the video games industry draws uh, mm. yearly, um, video game developers have consistently um, introduced mechanics into their games uh, that have enriched themselves and made for a worse user experience. Or mm. maybe maybe they haven't done that you know, willingly. Maybe that wasn't the intention, but there is certainly a sentiment among some gamers, at least, that that has been the case. And there has been a mentality among some gamers that anything that a game studio or developer or game puts into the game uh, that the uh, studio game or developer is excited about must necessarily mean that it's bad for the game, mm. right? In some sort of way, uh, you know, uh, like, you know, pay to win, uh, 
uh, you know, loot boxes, um, you know, not all that verifiably random uh, mechanics within games that seem like there's something else going on there. <laughs> uh, anyone who anyone who's played FIFA and, and has been up, you know, two one in the 45th minute or 90th minute, and all of a sudden a miraculous goal scored knows what I mean by you know this uh, this seemingly not all that random gameplay. Uh, you know, I, I think that the gamer has this defense mechanism against uh, the studio developers, publishers, and games uh, that make it such that they see that. Uh, these entities are excited about NFTs and they're wondering to themselves, how is this bad for me? And I, mm. I think there is this like hard, jagged edge that game, this callousness that gamers have developed uh, around this concept that has made them um, sort of hesitant to get excited about NFTs. And I, and I think that's, I think that's okay. I think over mm. time, if NFTs are as cool as we think they are, and if Web3 is as powerful and as revolutionary as we hope them to be, um, That'll change over time. What's the rush? Uh, I'm not in a rush. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. And on that point, one of the largest or one of the biggest topics in the gaming space at the moment is, or has been for several years, is as you touched on, it's the loot boxes. It's the uh, kind of, I don't want to say shady mechanics, but things don't seem quite right. Uh, and as, as, a, as a larger picture, microtransactions, um, we saw this most recently with Diablo Immortal. It, it by all metrics, has been a successful game, but was critically panned for its implementation of of microtransactions and being at its core a, a pay-to-win experience. Um, how do you think Metaverses and Web3 will change the microtransaction space? That's a very open-ended question. Um, but obviously, on the gaming side, do you think pay to win will continue to be a, to be an issue but on the on the kind of the metaverse entertainment side how do you view microtransactions playing a, a role in the space yeah i i used the term romantic earlier and i'll use it again to describe my ideology on gaming and nfts uh and that's to say what's most important for me personally is property rights and identity and you know taking that as the guiding north star of where i personally think nfts are most interesting within games that's incentivizing human human behavior to quest and to go on scavenger hunts and to become super loyal fans of certain IP through uh, verifiably immutably owned assets on a blockchain, so property rights. And alongside that, or maybe on top of that, the ability to allow gamers to self-express in a way that is unique to them through these visual identities, right? So for me, some of the major unlocks within uh, NFTs, Web3, uh, generally a blockchain-based game specifically, um, is the ability to uh, not change gameplay necessarily over the item that's owned, right? So I don't think owning a specific item, like literally owning it as an NFT, not as a, a license to use something, that that, that has much, um, you know, has... has uh, that that should be the most important part of NFTs within games. I think it's more... Uh, the ownership aspect so that things can be verifiably proved so that fans of games can be turned into super fans and can be sort of incentivized uh, to go deeper and further and be uh, and, and to explore and discover more, right? At, like turning everything into a game, really. Uh, the games within games, kind of. That, that It's kind of like Inception, dreams within dreams, games within games. Um, and then the self-expression part, you know, cosmetics and game items, wearables. You know, we've seen just how big that has been uh, for for games even before NFTs, but now that uh, one can actually say he or she owns an item, it's just even more powerful. Hmm. That's so. Uh, that's something I, I'd like to explore a little bit more. Actually, um, John and I last week did an episode on uh, NFTs for luxury brands, and I think if I'm not wrong, you have a background in fashion. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes, right. So this is kind of a two-part question. Firstly, one thing I love about Web3 is everyone's sort of road into it is different because there was, because it's so new, you can't have worked in it for 30 years. So people have come from every different industry and fashion. So I'd like to know how you've you know landed from uh, going from fashion into, into crypto. But the other part of this is also about the luxury uh, NFTs, and you say you work on the entertainment side. So I wondered if you had any thoughts on which industries you think will be most impacted by uh, NFTs and, you know, perhaps revolutionized by them. 
And so I'm hearing three parts of the question, so hopefully I can address all three. <laughs> I get a feeling that I'll be in part two and forget what part three is. Uh, but first was was my background. I'll, I'll try to be quick with it. Uh, I have a bit of a Forrest Gumpy background. I've, I've changed careers a few times, um, mm. having started professionally as a financial services attorney, of all things, um, oh. and p- pivoting into to fashion over a decade ago. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on the, on the law <laughs> side. So we'll, we'll just put a pin in that, move past it really quickly, sure. um, and, and uh, you know, moved into fashion over a decade ago, having owned and operated stores and brands in New York. Uh, I sold those businesses in 2016. And uh, around that time, I was sort of pacing around thinking about what's next. Um, I wasn't in like a dark place, but I wasn't incredibly happy um, Mm -hmm. leaving those businesses. And uh, crypto hit me at the right time. It gave me meaning, to be honest. When I fell down the Ethereum rabbit hole in, uh, it was April 4th. (laughs) I know I'll forever remember the the day. It was April 4th, 2017 was the day I made my first purchase of Ethereum and read the white paper and just completely fell down the rabbit hole and never came up for air. Um, I was doing trend forecasting and uh, my job was to tell large corporates what the kids were getting into so that large corporates could make products for said kids. Um, So my clients were luxury brands, designer labels, uh, CPG companies, um, really ran the gamut through culture. And they were fixated on Gen Z. And I started cramming into all of my uh, trend forecasts and, and consulting work uh, information about NFTs as CryptoKitties came on uh, came on the scene in November or December of 2017. And um, I, I really tried to plant a flag and, and develop a reputation as someone who was thinking about how NFTs, uh, provably scarce items in virtual worlds, uh, stood to sort of change the way people behaved online. Um, and over the course of five years, I went deeper and deeper, uh, always having a job in fashion, uh, launched a Web3 and Metaverse consultancy a few years back. And back in December of this year, uh, of last year, rather, of 2021, uh, took a job at Polygon. So, so that's, that's my trajectory uh, mm-hmm. from fashion into uh, Web3. Now, you, you also asked a question uh, about designer labels. And um, I, I'm not 100, I, I thought I would forget by question three what question three was, but I already <laughs> forgot forget question two. But I think it was something about like how, how they're dipping their toe in this and why is that? Uh, it was, I mean, that's basically what our episode last week was on about how mm. they are. And they, I mean, they're, they're dipping toes on mass. But the, the overarching question is, which industries do you think will be most impacted by um, the uh, introduction of NFTs? Yeah, it's it's reductive to say all of them. It reminds me of that scene in, uh, um, was it uh, Office Space? Um, where they ask a, a dude whose name is Michael Bolton, uh, these HR consultants, they're like, what's your favorite Michael Bolton song? And he's like, uh, all of them, because he doesn't have an answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but, I, but I do have an answer. I, I, I personally do believe that fashion will be one of, or self-expression more generally, will be one of the great Trojan horses into, uh, for Web3 into the public consciousness. And I also think it'll be a great onboarding engine for females, to be honest. Um, you know, Web3... Uh, the metaverse gaming uh, have traditionally been uh, male dominated verticals and industries. And I think that, you know, fashion will be a great unlock into mm-hmm. Web3 for, for females. Um, alongside that, something I'm very passionate about, and this also goes back to my trend forecasting days of having done consumer insight work uh, for specifically Gen Z, but also younger millennials, is CPG. Um, CPG and anything that touches upon uh, loyalty rewards. Um, I, I think that you know, the, the average cost of an NFT over time will, will pace towards zero. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if you truly understand what NFTs can do uh, digitally uh, for brands and for those who own them, uh, pacing towards zero is a good thing. The democratization of NFTs and the usefulness of them to incentivize behavior through affiliate marketing programs, loyalty rewards programs. Um, so looking at, you know, quick turn consumer goods, uh, looking at anyone who is playing in uh, the travel space, playing in uh, the credit space, looking at the Amexes and Deltas of the world, right? This idea of turning your loyalty rewards points into NFTs that not only could be tr- freely uh, transferable and tradable as atomic assets on the blockchain, but as ways for one, and by, by saying one, one uh, a company, to, to gamify the experience uh, of acquiring these points through affiliate marketing programs by similarly situated brands, right? So this idea that uh, Amex and uh, Delta don't need to open up an API, that an influencer can actually create a quest on social media 
for one to acquire certain rewards and then reward you with the third thing that's fully composable on blockchain. That to me is an incredible unlock and just such a, it, it's sort of like a mind blowing uh, thought exercise of where this could go. This idea of mm. questing through NFTs, through loyalty rewards programs. So uh, the industries, so to answer very directly, the industries that I'm very excited about is anything that plays into self-expression and anything that plays into incentivizing human behavior, specifically loyalty rewards. Awesome. Um, an industry myself and Rob spoke uh, a decent length about last week was the uh, the watch industry. Um, Rob, you're a fan of Frederick Constant. They released a watch that gave you uh, an incredible amount of perks. Um, if you purchase the, the NFT for it, it was like you get to be a collaborator on a future design. You get early access to future watches, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we basically got to talking about how brand loyalty will change in Web3. Um, so, you know, if I purchase a Rolex or a Ferrari or whatever, unless I have like an intrinsic love for that brand and I always have done, that's not much sense of brand loyalty there. It's, hey, I own, I own this cool, you know, pair of sneakers or this cool phone or this cool watch, but it's not, I'm a dedicated fan of, you know, this sneaker brand or this watch brand. How do you think that, um, brand loyalty schemes, um, will help to kind of reignite the the idea of brand loyalty between consumer brands and uh, and their purchasers in the Web3 space? I think a lot of it has to do with being top of mind through creating immersive experiences, right? You know, I, I personally, you know, I'm an Amex card holder, but I don't think of Amex all day, every day. I'm not out there incentivized to quest on behalf of Amex to become a deeper fan of, of the product. But um, through Web3 devices, if they were able to incentivize me in a different way and I became more captive to their brand, not in a negative pejorative way, not captive in a bad way, but like if they were more top of mind because I was engaged in, in what is essentially a game, right? It, it all goes back to that word game. Um, I, I think that is the win for their brand to uh, unlock a deeper experience for me and for me to engage with their brand in a more meaningful way. So it's not necessarily about onboarding new users into your brand, although through affiliate marketing programs, that could be the case, right? There could be a popular influencer who develops a quest uh, for one to go out and do certain things that involve Amex and Delta and Ferrari and Rolex and whatever uh, brands we've already uh, uh, sort of brought up in this discussion. Um, so that could be an on-ramp to new users. Uh, and, and I think that will happen over time. I think it'll happen in media as well, uh, as omni-media, transmedia becomes a thing where um, publishers and studios start to place IP in different places simultaneously. Uh, I think there will be a game element to actually consuming media. Um, I, I think that that's the way the landscape uh, will look for onboarding new users. But, but I do think a huge part of it is also just... Um, getting more value out of and giving more value to existing users and turning users and consumers into fans. I think that word fan is going to be one of the favorite terms uh, for marketers and brands uh, in 2023 and beyond. You know, I, th there are a lot of these, um, these marketing publications that, you know, they, they put forth um, the word of the year, right? Like what's the word of the year? And, um, you know, years ago it was like experiential, right? Like every, every retail operation had to have an experiential component. Uh, then it was omni-channel, right? As the direct-to-consumer e-commerce uh, uh, movement took hold, like everything was omni-omni. Uh, and uh, I think the word fan, fandom, is, is going to be the most promising word um, and become a part of every uh, brand marketer and brand's uh, sort of toolkit uh, moving forward. Hmm. That's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a topic that John and I have talked about uh, a lot and how it will change the way people interact with the things they do on a, on a daily basis. I, I've worked in the um, photography industry for a long time. And I, when I joined it, there was a different attitude towards brands than there is now. Now it's a more self-serving attitude. And I don't mean that as a criticism either. Uh, there was no benefit to, to not being self-serving. Um, there used to be communities around these things that has been kind of lost. And I think it's... The, it's also a little bit the case with gaming now, not only because the volume of games we are getting is, is far higher than we had 10, 20 years ago, um, but also gamers are becoming a, a little, a little bit like you said, like calloused, a little bit harder. They, they look for what's, what they're getting out of it and they're wary of things that are, are introduced. Uh, this is something I wanted to ask you, and it's a bit of a tricky one. 
um, and it will put you perhaps on, on the spot a little bit. But uh, there was a podcast recently with Mark Cuban on it, the uh, Altcoin Daily podcast. And they asked Mark what he thought about the metaverse and metaverse land. And I think generally he's, he's, he's on board with the metaverse. I mean, he's obviously invested heavily in, in crypto and he's, um, he's working with uh, Yuga. And however, he said, which was doing the rounds and getting a uh, hit a lot of criticism on him was he said, and I'm going to quote him directly, buying land in the metaverse is the dumbest shit ever. Um, and so I, I was sort of, <laughs> I thought I'd get your, your, your comments on that and what, and what you, you make of that. It is exactly how it sounds, by the way. I've not, you know, gerrymandered his words that, that he means exactly as it sounds. Well, with, without context to, uh, to the rest of that interview, I, I can't imagine, um, why he said that, right? Um, aside from the fact that he truly just believes that, like in general, um, hmm. I, I, I'm not here to support that point of view. Uh, I'm here to give it more nuance. Uh, you know, I think any any digital asset um, that promises economic activity to be created on that asset can be monetized. Now, I think the hyper financialization of everything, where it's like, here's a thing, let's associate value with it, and uh, you know give it no actual value. It's just like, here's a thing, right? Build something. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe that's a bad idea, right? Um, but a piece of land within a virtual world um, that allows for economic activity to be created on that land, whereby owners uh, of that land can come together, uh, coordinate uh, and govern, I think that is a good idea, right? So so mm. land for land's sake, right? Uh, the sort of the Ponzi aspects of it, like I made this virtual thing, buy it and sell it to the next guy. That's dumb. I, I agree with that, right? The, but but the person who's creating that has poor intentions, right? They're just creating it to sell it, right? And it's sort of mm -hmm. like the 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 last greater fool uh, to hold it, right? That that sort of idea. But if value is uh, accruing to these digital assets and people actually creating upon them and they're coordinating in such a way. Uh, let me give an example of how my my mind was captivated in 2017 when I first heard about Decentraland uh, to, to mm. give an example of how I see value accruing to these lands uh, beyond simply assigning value to them. Uh, when I found out about Decentraland, I also found out about Aragon, uh, which was, and, and it may still be, although I don't hear about Aragon all that much these days anymore, was one of the first DAO tooling kits uh, made available, right? Mm. Um, a, an easy way to spin up DAOs. And when I, when I learned about the two of them at the same time, I, I was may, maybe my legal background caused me to think this way, but my imagination was captivated to think, oh, wow, there's going to be homeowner associations within the metaverse, within these virtual worlds. Um, and those who own will be a part of these, da these, these DAO things, right? Like we didn't know what they were at the time. I was like, these DAO things. Okay. Great. So there will be these homeowner associations within these DAOs and they will actually govern height restrictions within certain parcels and they will govern the protocol, right? That made sense to me, right? Uh, maybe there will be public works that will put on like games and theater within these metaversal virtual worlds. Um, and the actual denizens thereof will own it and they will be the ones who actually uh, recoup the revenue from NFT sales of these public works that are, that are hosted on these lands. That is, that is how my mind was captivated. And that is how I make sense of uh, giving value to these lands, right? It is where economic mm -hmm. activity can accrue to them and where folks can govern them uh, with pure intentions and real monetary incentives. Um, you know, the counter to that is, uh, you know, why would we restrict the ability for people to create? And I don't think that it's meaning, you know, why, why are we having scarce land? Shouldn't everyone just have land that you could just create on these lands? I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think both can and will exist. And I think there will be platforms that cater to both. And it depends on where the user wants to spend his or her time. Yeah, that's, uh, so I, I think... When I wrote about it yesterday, I think I can see a little bit where he's coming from because a lot of people refer to land in the metaverse as a digital counterpart to the physical, um, which I don't think it makes sense to look at it in those terms because location and, and scarcity, are, are, and they still exist. So the example I gave was, uh, you know, a lot of companies like HSBC and stuff, but they, they bought places in the sandbox for example which is probably the the premier metaverse game at the moment and i see it rather cynically i see it as a uh, really a pr stunt a marketing move to show their forward thinking and they're involved in web3 
But that's really the only way I can see that there is value in current metaverse land is where you there is obviously a finite space around player hubs in the sandbox and people were buying it and it's valuable because you are where a lot of people are which is why you know real estate in new york in in london is so expensive because you're so close to where lots of things are happening and lots of people are where i think in in the metaverse and in, in blockchain games land is less relevant unless it has intrinsic perks which in games it often does um staking or you know, various tools like that. So do you think it's inaccurate to call um, metaverse land, you know, to draw that comparison with physical land? Do you think that's where the, perhaps the contention is? Yeah, we always have a habit of going towards the skeuomorphic when we design things, right? So this idea of like location, location, location from the physical Mm -hmm. world, whether it's retail or any sort of commercial use or just, you know, desirable plots of residential spaces. Like, you know, obviously that's the first instinct for the digital world because it's what we know. I, I think, you know, time will tell whether that translates. I think what's more interesting and what's a better way of looking at this is as opposed to, uh, you know, actual physical or digital proximity, um, is, is more like proximity of mindshare and, and, you know, like-minded individuals coming together in certain areas to coordinate and create, right? Um, you know, it, far more valuable than opening up, in my mind, right? Reasonable minds can differ. Far more valuable than opening up, a, you know, a metaversal retail operation next to Porsche or Ralph Lauren or, you know, a big consumer brand. Uh, is banding together with like-minded people, whether it's through fractionalized ownership of a specific parcel or just, you know, adjoining or conjoining parcels within a virtual world to create experiences together that sort of compound value, right? I bring value, you bring value, we're like-minded, we build together. It's, it's less like, oh, there's a really great mall and there's a, you know, a few anchor tenants here. I need to be next to those tenants. You know, I think it's more finding like-minded individuals and creating pockets of influence. I I think that is a better um, way to think about why certain pieces of land throughout the metaverse could continue to gain value. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, Just to throw the discussion to a completely different to it a completely different topic. Um, the whole concept of decentralization um, tends to kind of ebb and flow in the uh, in the Web3 space. I mean, I've gone on record on this podcast before to say that I don't think Web3 can fully live up to the potential we dream of it if it's a entirely decentralized space. And I think there still needs to be some, some central aspects to it. Um, what does the decentralization mean to you, Brian? Yeah, I, I think it, uh, decentralization for me, um, the most important aspect of it is removing rent-seeking middlemen that, uh, and, and I don't say that in like a, a really nefarious, like negative way, right? Being a, a middleman isn't necessarily a bad thing, but removing uh, unnecessary rent-seeking middlemen that do not bring the most value um, to any given vertical or situation and giving that value back uh, to the owner of assets and to the people who are actually transacting, right? So it's really uh, drawing more efficiencies into the global economy and, and, and sort of removing rent seekers. I think that is one of the most interesting parts of decentralization and sort of uh, what strikes my crypto anarchic uh, uh, characteristics the right way. Um, I'm, I'm open-minded about it. Uh, I don't think everything can or should be decentralized. I think there are some things where having centralization makes sense decision makers who are held up to a standard, uh, who, you know, if they uh, fail to live up to that standard can be removed, um, you know, traditional democratic processes uh, and capitalistic pro- uh, processes. Um, and, and just, you know, things that com- commonsensically don't need to be decentralized. Meaning, for instance, you know, Robert, you brought up earlier um, digital twins, right? Uh, I got mm. into this conversation a couple months back about, you know, oh, every piece of real estate in the real world is going to have an NFT associated there with. Now, that may or may not happen. Sure, whatever. Um, I don't take, uh, you know, an opinion on whether it will or will not happen. But if you think that that's going to be 100% decentralized process, you're insane. So if you lose your NFT, yeah. you don't own the building. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah. there, there's a centralized party there that you're going to call and get your, your you, you know, your hash or your receipt that you own the deed to that building. You're not just going to lose mm-hmm. the physical building because, you know, the, the, the digital uh, version was either hacked or, or exploited or lost. Right. So, um, 
Yeah, for me, it's it's the removal of uh, rent seekers that may not necessarily bring as much value um, as they charge. Okay, no, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, that makes sense to me. Um, again, just to switch it up a bit, you, you you mentioned there about holding holding these where there have to be centralized elements in in Web three. You'll have these people that will be held to certain standards. Uh, of course, recently we had the Open Metaverse Alliance for Web three um, that was formed. Uh, of course, Decentraland and the Sandbox are two of the founding members. Um, how do you, um, or how does Polygon view organizations such as OMA3, and um, what impact do you think they can have to help drive for uh, the future of an open metaverse? Yeah, a little bit of alpha, but not really alpha, because uh, it was formally announced months ago, but uh, months in crypto are like dog years, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, the public consciousness may not remember. Uh, but earlier, I was waxing poetically about Matthew Ball. Matthew Ball had written a series of essays, The Framework for the Metaverse. He turned them into NFTs. Uh, he sold them. Uh, and FWB, Friends with Benefits Dow, uh, they put together a party bid to buy uh, that NFT. But someone at Polygon, uh, a whale, if you will, uh, from the founder's office of Polygon, ended up winning that auction. Uh, and as a result of that situation, uh, Polygon came together with FWB, a community of which I'm also a member. So it's kind of cool to sit as an employee of Polygon Studios, but as a member of the FWB community, uh, came together uh, in comedy uh, to develop uh, what we are calling the Metaverse Alliance DAO. It is our own version uh, of uh, Open Meta, of uh, the other Metaverse alliances. Uh, and you know, we are, we are proliferating this idea of an open and decentralized metaverse and developing products and services digitally uh, and physically as well in some instances. Uh, to really push that message uh, forward, open and decentralized metaverse. So um, I think your question was whether it's a good idea. So by virtue of working at Polygon Studios, being a member of FWB and being, I guess, I guess kind of like a founding <laughs> member of the Metaverse Alliance DAO, I would say, yes, I think it's a great idea. Uh, and I think that there's no shortage of institutions, DAOs, or any sort of entities, however they're structured, uh, no shortage of them necessary to actually band together uh, and, and push this message of, uh, why we should have an open and decentralized metaverse, which was the first thing uh, we started this conversation on about an hour ago, the open decentralized metaverse. Mm. That's true. Um, I, I actually, I, I want to ask something a bit more direct about Polygon. So Polygon is one of a, a handful of Web3 ecosystems that I particularly like and follow. Um, but there, we, you've talked again. I'm going to have to do it. This, this is going to be a two part question. Um, so we'll, we'll try, we'll try and remember. Just don't, both just don't lose your power. <laughs> no, I know I have no control over that. I'm worried about that. Um, so uh, the first half of this question is uh, why do you think people should throw in with Polygon? Uh, if they were, you know, they're, they're browsing to build their DAP or their game or their, you know, they're looking at just get integrating themselves as a user into an ecosystem. Why should people um, throw in with Polygon? And the second half, I'll make it really short so we don't forget, is um, do you think it, it matters that much if interoperability becomes as, as big as it looks like it will be? Yeah, so maybe working backwards on the interoperability side uh, and then getting mm -hmm. to the easier part, why Polygon? You know, Polygon does believe in a cross-chain, interchain future. Um, so mm -hmm. this, this concept of WAGME, this concept of a patchwork of technologies to actually bring Web3 and blockchain to the masses, that is something we do subscribe to. And as a result of subscribing to that, we have hitched ourselves to the Ethereum bandwagon, right? We, we made no bones about it since uh, launch. And, and even through uh, the past year or two of these large monolithic layer ones, uh, positioning themselves as Ethereum killers. That goes back to 2017, 2018, the ICO days, people benefiting from that message. We, we have never, uh, we have never played into that message. We have always positioned ourselves, uh, as, uh, a scaling solution to the Ethereum mm -hmm. virtual machine. So while we do believe in a cross chain, uh, multi chain future, uh, we do think that it would be an EVM centric future, uh, that Ethereum will be the settlement layer, that the L2s, uh, will be the execution layer. And as opposed to positioning ourselves as a monolithic piece of technology uh, that is mm. uh, potentially there to solve everything, right? Like, like it's just one piece of technology. We have shown a consistent ability to pivot into new technologies and position ourselves as a solutions provider, right? So people often forget that, you know, Polygon didn't launch on proof of stake. You know, we, we launched on Plasma. Uh, and as a better technology was developed, uh, we moved into proof of stake. 
Uh, and then over the course of the last year or two, uh, as ZKs really began to show their promise, we acquired over a billion dollars worth of ZK technology, uh, now having open sourced our ZK EVM and moving that towards testnet. Maybe by the time this airs, we may be in testnet. That's how imminent it is. Um, developing different flavors of ZK rollups, working with enterprises like EY on ZK optimistic rollup hybrids, the, the nightfall project there. And then finally, our enterprise blockchain uh, solution, Supernet, built on our edge technology, which is meant to be uh, uh, an Ethereum native internet of blockchains uh, for large enterprises that need a more brand safe environment that is somewhat more permissioned, right? Viewing decentralization as a spectrum. So we really have positioned ourselves as a solutions provider that has multiple technologies uh, and we can solution engineer uh, you know, the right uh, framework for uh, any developer who's looking to build on blockchain. So, uh, you know, mm. to answer your question, yes, believe in a cross-chain, multi-chain future. And, you know, we think that we're best situated to address that future because we are addressing all different parts of the value chain. Awesome. Okay. I think the, um, probably the last question from me, and I'll keep it short as I can. Um, firstly, the ETH merge scheduled for mid-September. How do you think that'll impact Polygon, the ETH space and layer twos in general? Uh, and on top of that, how do you envisage the space as a whole changing within the next 12 months? Yeah, I think that that will be bullish for every Web3 decentralized application and blockchain protocol uh, that's building on the EVM. You know, if that goes off without a hitch, you know, uh, the Gorley testnet went live. Uh, I guess last night or early this morning, depending on where you are in the world, uh, without a hitch. Uh, so, you know, we're pacing towards that September 19th date, uh, which uh, the Ethereum Foundation has put out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that will be uh, a boon for the entire industry. And to, to crack a joke about the flippening and the merge, you know, it's, it's like maybe maybe the flippening was the merge the whole time. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a maximalist who uh, sort of uh, is averse to Bitcoin. I absolutely love Bitcoin. But I think, you know, most um, EVM maxis or decentralization maxis who view, you know, uh, Bitcoin's use case as a, a storage, uh, a, a, the memorialization and transferability of uh, storing value uh, that, you know, that value prop having been completed, right? You know, Bitcoin being 99% complete and Ethereum being maybe, you know, 60% complete. If that, I think Vitalik said that we're about 55, 60% complete. You know, one would view this idea of a flippening where Ethereum becomes the number one blockchain in terms of market cap as inevitable. And there is that joke there that maybe uh, the flippening was the merge the entire time. So uh, I'm not calling for that. That's not investment advice. Um, but, I, but I do think that, you know, if, uh, if the merge goes off without a hitch, as now we all have reason to believe it will, uh, because of the Gorley testnet, um, that it will be a great benefit to all the layer twos that are building uh, within uh, the EVM and those who are EVM compatible as well. Hmm. I like that. Um, I don't think I have any more any more questions that I want to. I mean, I, I could ramble on for several more hours, but I don't think <laughs> in any sort of meaningful dialogue I could uh, contribute. I think we we covered most of our points. Oh, I think uh, I agree. I think that was yeah, no, that was a good chat. We covered a lot of topics, and uh, Brian, thank you, thank you very much for your time. Um, it was oh, a great thank chat. You for having me, yeah, this was this was wonderful, was and uh, I'd be I'd be happy to join you guys anytime. So, um, wonderful. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Also, thank you very much, Brian. See you around. Thank you. Okay, episode thirty-four is done, and that was a good one. That was that was interesting. Uh, as Brian said just after we jumped off the call, we traversed a lot of land. In that. <laughs> we did, yeah. I think we we touched a lot of bases. You know, EVM brand loyalty, and mm. um, Polygon stance on a whole bunch of Web three topics. So, so no, yeah, it was fantastic to have Brian on the show and mm. very knowledgeable um, guy, isn't he? Yeah, very, very knowledgeable guy. I, I almost, I wanted to say something about the cat that made an appearance about oh, five yeah. minutes in. I wanted but to I come back. The rest of the podcast, <laughs> I was just waiting for it to return, but it didn't. I, I couldn't find an opportune moment to, to, you know, speak up about the cat. But uh, mm. I think also noticed um, he had a, a Moogle from Final Fantasy on his, uh, on the shelf, on his shelf behind, behind him, him yeah. which is, I don't know if the people watching this podcast will be able to see, but I've got one as well. So, yeah, oh. that, that, was, that was cool. Yeah, I think well, it, he did mention Final Fantasy, didn't he? Uh, about he did. About 10,000 hours. I wonder how many <laughs> of those are, <laughs> he's actually put in. Sounds well, I guess like he we'll, might have. Uh, if we uh, bring, him on, uh, bring him on again, maybe we'll find out. Mm. Um, but oh yeah, that was a fantastic episode. Uh, Rob, stuff. where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at tokengamer.io. 
for daily blockchain gaming and um, the peripheral ecosystem news. That was a weird way of saying that, but <laughs> I wanted to make it clear that we don't just cover blockchain games. We like to cover the um, the tech and uh, the various ecosystems that are holding it up. And then you can find us on Twitter at Token Gamer News. Uh, where else are we at Token Gamer News? YouTube. YouTube, we're at Token Gamer News. We've got some more stuff going up. We're going to start, we're doing a few more series now. So um, that's going to start ramping up in content. Then we stream Tuesdays and Thursdays. That is super dope on the Token Gamer channel, which is just twitch.tv for such Token Gamer. I think that begins at uh, 8 p.m. UTC and uh, it's always just games and giveaways. I haven't, so I was writing last night but he so he streamed yesterday or no day before yesterday and he opened some packs and I hear he got legendaries or something crazy he got something oh, really wow. really rare but I haven't watched the vod back yet so uh, I'm going to have to go on my own youtube channel to, <laughs> to find it um <laughs> I think that's oh yeah download our wax app wax companion app uh it's on both app stores type in token gamer you should find it where can they find you John Oh, just um, just before I get into mine, um, I've heard a few people um, speaking. It's been good of the app lately. I saw Stuck at Six PM mm. put something on Twitter about how usefully found the notifications. So, so yeah, if you uh, if you want a great companion app for the Wax blockchain, then definitely go and find the Token Gamer app on the App Source. Um, for myself, um, for the latest NFT news, it's nftinsider.io. Um, it's been busy. We've been daily uploads last week, this week, all sorts of stuff, um, mm. both on Wax on Polygon, funnily enough, uh, and on all sorts of other chains. News, um, we have, we did a listicle in the top five sales on Wax. We've got some really cool uh, written interviews coming up. Uh, we have we have Our Planet, we have uh, Alien Worlds, we have uh, Lonely Pop, which is a really cool um, ETH-based PFP project. But yeah, loads of, loads of really cool stuff coming up uh, on the website. Uh, for our socials, it's at uh, nftinsider underscore io on Twitter and Instagram. Um, doing giveaways, as we always do, and have recently started uploading clips for the podcast. So mm. um, so yeah, that you'll get the uh, kind of the best bits, the best quotes, etc. Um, on your on your social feeds, which is really cool. Uh, for me personally, it is at hydropowered, H-Y-D-R-O-P-W-R-D on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse, probably more. Wrap it out. <laughs> um, Twitter being the, the number one platform for me. That's where I, I daily tweet about everything that's going on in space and uh, and all the things you should look out for. There's new projects, um, security tips, what's going on generally in WAX or, or blockchain in general. That's where you can find it. And uh, we do now... Uh, for the podcast, have a Twitter account. So it is at Mint1Pod. So M-I-N-T, the number one, pod. Uh, that'll get you to uh, the Mint1 Podcast Twitter. There is nothing on it at the moment, and I think it's only me and you that follow it. So <laughs> it, it's the race to become follower number three, by the sounds of things. But yeah, well... Um, We'll be putting, I imagine we'll be putting clips up there and uh, asking you guys all sorts of questions. It's a great way just to reach out to us if you've got a, got any feedback. So, yeah, there we go. I think that is everything from me. Yeah, nice. Um, that was good. Good episode. We uh, oh, One thing we should probably mention is if things look or feel a little bit different, and they might not, um, but if they do, it's because we are using Riverside, uh, the podcasting tool, for the first time because we couldn't work out how to do a video interview with someone in a professional and <laughs> enjoyable way and i hate zoom so uh outside of that we were we were looking at options and i i mean uh, the the listeners absolutely do not care but the wheels have come off um i think riverside's pretty impressive so far depending what? on if it's <laughs> you know what i'm gonna say if, so my um as i mentioned in the podcast but i'll give you the, the full rundown my um entire office got possessed in the middle of that podcast. Um, I think I had a power surge. My lights started getting brighter. Things started flashing. My fan turned itself on, which was lovely, but brief. Um, and <laughs> when I came back, my, my computer turned itself off and back on so quickly, I, it, I didn't actually lose the tab with uh, Riverside in it. And it said, don't close this tab. We're still uploading, um, but you can rejoin the call. I've clicked rejoin. Um, and then it wasn't uploading anything, uh, which <laughs> has panicked me. But this is, this is redundant because if you're listening to this, it means we found it. <laughs> if we didn't find it, this won't be anywhere, I imagine. 
Yeah, if if this episode sounds perfect, like no no bad cuts, nothing missing, then I will give Riverside a ten out of ten for <laughs> for handling the power surge, the like <laughs> me me stopping and starting recording about six times. Yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll give it rave reviews for anybody who wants to uh, who's looking for a good a good video call piece of software or a podcasting tool. Um, mm. But there we go, episode thirty four in the books. Um, thank you very much for watching if you're watching this on youtube be sure to like and subscribe and uh put your put your notes down in the comments if you've got any feedback anybody you'd like um us to interview or uh, any topics that you'd like us to uh, to bridge uh, and of course if you're listening on apple Podcasts or spotify please give us a five-star podcast rating uh, i believe on apple you can leave comments as well so uh so yeah please do that and uh i, I don't think we, we still haven't read out any of the any of the five car- uh, five star reviews Maybe I shall have a look. I'll have a look. And if there are any, I'll read them out next uh, next episode. Yeah, yeah but, presuming uh, we have some. <laughs> <laughs> we'll read out oh, one size as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, hey, there we go. Episode 34 in the books. Thank you very, very much for tuning in, guys. And we hope you tune in again next week. Mm-hmm.